of whatever the hell this podcast is called. Uh, we will have decided by the time this goes out into the world. At the moment, uh, the three uh, finalists are Kitchen Table Confessions, Shooting the Shit, and what was the other one? Naked. The Naked Truth. Naked Truth. Right. Okay. So here I am, uh, completely naked with Tracy Clark <laughs> Flory in her kitchen. Yes. And we're about to shoot the shit. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy. Maybe that, that you should string all of those together into the title. Into the, yeah, right. When in doubt, <laughs> yeah, include everything. Just do all of it. Right. Uh, now, you may be wondering, who the hell is Tracy Clark Flory? Who am I? Who are you? Who uh, are you? I know I, who you are, sort of. I know a little. I, well, I guess I would say I'm Salon's uh, resident sex writer. Or right. sex reporter. Right. Reporting on the... Reporting the, on all things relating to sex, whether it's sexual culture, sexual politics, all of it. Right. Yeah. Now, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, here we have a young, attractive woman reporting on sex, not an old, unattractive man. Yeah. <laughs> So between the two of us, we've got the whole spectrum covered here. <laughs> so what, uh, how does, uh, you know, the whole reason for this podcast is I want to know how does someone, how do you get to be where you are? How do mm. you, I, I don't want to ask how old you are, but I'm guessing, okay, I was going to say, <laughs> you know, mid to late twenties. Yeah. So did you study sex journalism in college? Is no, that, uh... funnily, that is not actually an offered major. <laughs> <laughs> at least it wasn't at my school. Um, yeah, I studied English with an emphasis in creative writing and uh -huh. great um, my... career prep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really solid choice there. <laughs> Ancient history was a little too impractical for you. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so I minored, minored in journalism. I was on the school paper. Uh, I pretty much, I knew I wanted to go into journalism. And where was this? Mills College in Which Oakland. Is, oh, it's in a, Oakland, it's right, a, it's right. It's an all-women's college, actually. Uh -huh. uh, it's kind of an accident that I ended up going to an all-women's college. A but bastion of feminist radicalism. Yes, yes, uh -huh. yeah. And I got to rebel against that a little bit. Um, How does one rebel against radical feminism? By, well, like, darning socks or something <laughs> by the fireplace? Um, well, I think I did it mostly through my writing, which is how I do all of my rebellion, mostly. Oh, nice. Um, for the school paper, yeah. Nothing too out there, but I think I, I, w I sat in on enough women's studies classes to um, really, uh, I don't know, I, I wanted to sort of challenge uh, the party line, I mm. guess. And so, so what was the party line when you were there? Because I did some women's studies classes, but this was in the early 80s. Yeah. Andrea Dworkin was right. like big. And I was the only man in a class of about 40 women, I remember, in one. And I found myself in the unenviable position of trying to argue that Playboy magazine actually was not all bad. Right. Right. Well, I mean, the funny thing is, I think I kind of found myself in the same position. Mm. Maybe it, we weren't arguing about Playboy anymore, but, um, and I don't think that this is like necessarily representative of 
feminism as a whole, but it definitely was my experience in those women's studies classes that it was very much that sort of dwarken perspective of, I felt, I did feel like there was a lot of actually, um, there was some man-hating in it, in mm. the class that I was really uncomfortable with. Right. Um, and I definitely, I definitely considered myself a feminist and still do, but I really disagreed with, with that sort of attitude. Uh, All men are rapists. Kind yeah, of fun, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and sort of uh, demonizing male sexuality. Right. I, I just totally objected to. So, um, but I also, but I definitely don't think that that's representative of, of feminism as a whole, but it was, it was the norm in that classroom. Right. And I was really uncomfortable with that. So I, um, I really wanted to rebel against that. I wanted to write about sex and porn and um, in a feminist way that was also sex positive, I right. guess you could say. That seems like such an, an empty phrase now because everyone throws it around, sex positive. But Well, they throw it around, but it, it's still kind of difficult to put into practice, right? Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's still sort of an awkward stance to take mm-hmm. anywhere outside of San Francisco, probably, you yeah, know, the right. West Coast. Portland, Seattle, that seems to be the, the sex positive corridor or something. Right. If and I, such haven't, a thing. I haven't left because I, I want to make it easy for myself that I don't have to actually, yeah, actually be challenged in my, yeah, views. Sex I guess it's, it's a lot easier. I guess it's maybe there's, it's kind of cowardly maybe that I've stayed here. Are you from here originally? <laughs> I'm from Berkeley. Oh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Born and bred. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you're just a pinky commie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Yep. Well, that's good. Uh, (laughs) Put that on the table. (laughs) Let's get that out. Yeah, exactly. Um, So did you go to Salon right out of college then? Yeah. I um, started interning at Salon when I was in school um, and worked my butt off and then got a job that was mostly administration stuff and then um, got to write on the side and then the writing grew and grew and grew until it was a staff position. So, yeah. And you've established, I mean, you've got that shtick and that's a big, that's a pretty big thing for Salon, I would say. That's a pretty Mm -hmm. big part of of their worldview and and Mm -hmm. what they're trying to cover. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, it's kind of amazing. I mean, because I knew that I wanted to come to, I, I knew I wanted to write for Salon. I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to become their sex reporter. And I started by writing about feminism or blogging for their feminist blog broadsheet. And then it just sort of, I always ended up writing about sex anyways for that blog. So, Mm. um, when that blog disappeared, it just was a natural transition that I would take up that beat. I just want to get on the record here that I'm, I've probably been a salon fan, you know, since before you were working there. If we could do the math and figure it out. But I'm one of the few people who like paid money when they tried to go to a paid model. Mm -hmm. I sent them 20 bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then they set up like there's a a thing, like a parallel thing for reader blogs. I set one of those up. Open Salon. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I set that up. And then I, I set up so that my psychology today blog would feed into it oh, wow. yeah. and then I stopped doing the salon thing and then I tried to shut it down and I couldn't so I think it's still there, it's there somewhere it's, just it's never updated it's yeah. like a zombie blog oh. yeah oh, it's updated every time I write something in oh, psychology it today okay. yeah yeah and occasionally I'll get an email from somebody who's commenting on something at salon mm. I've it's sad. You know? oh. Yeah. Just too much to do online. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do read. I read all your stuff for sure. And oh, I, I read. Good. I've got salon in the RSS feed. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I like Solana a lot, and 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 that's one of the reasons I like the the political. I think the political coverage is really good. Is Joan Walsh? Is she mm-hmm. the yeah? Yeah, and. Um, yeah, and the sexual stuff is great. I, I used to read Nerve a lot. You ever read right. Nerve? I did. They I used to. They seem to fade out. I, what happened yeah, to them? I'm not really sure what's happened because I, I used to love them. And I've heard the same thing from a lot of people that they used to love them and read them all the time. And um, I, I don't know. I think their heyday has sort of passed, I'm sad yeah. to it, say. It, it, well, strangely, because yeah. their whole thing is is like sex for smart people. Right. Which seems to be a growing sector of mm-hmm. the population. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're keying into at Salon. So I'm, I'm perplexed as to how they like let that wave go by because they used to have some yeah. really good writing there. It might be that it's just there are more people out there, especially online, doing what they have done. Mm. And so it's not people are less likely to go to a site like Nerve when they can find it at Salon or wherever else online. Uh, right. And so it's not there isn't as much a need for it to have its own separate area Hmm, which might be a good thing i mean it might be a good thing that we can actually incorporate smart conversations about sex into a news site right like salon a little more mainstream yeah 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 Yeah, exactly it's seen as an aspect of politics Mm -hmm. and 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 lifestyle choices and all that yeah yeah so how long you been at salon then it's been five years or so Hmm. maybe Okay, so you've got some perspective on changes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what what do you see changing in American sexual culture? It seems, uh, from my perspective, not to, you know, contaminate your answer, but from my perspective, it seems that American sexual culture is at a tipping point. Mm -hmm. Things seem to be changing very quickly and accelerating. Mm -hmm. Do you have that sense? A tipping point in what sense of, in terms of... Well, in the sense that... There's a line uh, that we we quote Arthur Miller in Sex at Dawn saying, an era can be considered over when its basic illusions have been exhausted, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like we are at a moment in American culture where the basic, basic illusions are exhausted mm-hmm. and pretty much everyone recognizes that. Some people rec- uh, you know, respond to that by... Uh, as, as Obama infamously said, clinging to God and guns, mm-hmm. right? And so they sort of retreat toward some, you know, uh, rea- they react in a, in a very conservative sense, in mm-hmm. the old sense of conservative, right. like I want things to be the way they used to be, you know? Right. And other other people respond by being open to new ideas, looking at new paradigms, saying, for example, monogamy. Mm-hmm. It's right. obviously at a, point of crisis so some people are saying well then we have to have you know what are those things they do in the south those fidelity dances with the father daughter <laughs> rings balls. yeah, yeah. purity balls yeah. fidelity dances right. whatever <laughs> i like that actually it has a nice ring to it <laughs> fidelity that's maybe, i'll call the podcast that <laughs> fidelity dance with dr christopher uh and you know so some people go that way and and, and the the uh, the other thing they're doing in the South, trying to make divorce really difficult, mm-hmm. you know, the sort mm-hmm. of fundamentalist marriage right. thing. And but then you see someone like Dan Savage, mm-hmm. who used to be this fringe character. Yeah. Uh, becoming a mainstream totally. figure on yeah. the Colbert Report, a lot New York Times profiles. And he hasn't changed. Yeah. You know, it's the culture that's moved mm-hmm. toward him. Right. So that's what I mean, that, that it seems now. And it's not just around sex, too. I mean, I think. Yeah. Politically, you know, totally, people yeah. are like, well, 
uh, depending on your perspective, at least one of the parties is completely full of shit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the Catholic Church has been exposed as hypocrites and, you know, pedophiles and, and, right. and predators. Uh, you know, what else? Wall Street, mm -hmm. you know, the banking sector used to think, you know, they were conservative, you know, low risk, just sort of enabling everyone else to yeah. to, uh, you know, it's like the, the dealer at the blackjack table is cheating right. and everyone knows. So the right. whole casino is falling apart, now, right. you know. So that's what I mean. It, yeah. That's why I think I think the culture's at a tipping point because no matter where you are in the sort of intellectual political spectrum, you sort of can't, you know, the weather. I mean, you know, the you know, it's the the crop, the corn has right. failed this season. You know, there right. are going to be food riots right. this year. You know, but global warming isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now there's so I think the next phase of that will be it is real, but it's not our fault. Mm -hmm. It's just a natural fluctuation. And, right. We have know. no control or power over so it. Why so bother? why try to change anything? Yeah. 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 Um, no, I think that's totally true. I think that I mean, I, yeah, we're in in many areas. We're going in these two very extreme directions. And I think it's it's. Uh, Gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of this book now that I just had read. But it, oh, what is that book that's going to bother me? Um, you can edit out this What's part. it about? <laughs> uh, Maybe I can help you. It's about, God, it might even be up there. Um, what is it about? It's about, it's it's pretty much about the, uh, it's about a, like a, a cultural backlash to sexual politics and um is it called backlash or something like that oh you know i think oh, i just shoot. got an email about that they uh, i think my editor is sending backlash, me a copy asking for but, did it just come out or is it not yet out it, it came out maybe two months ago uh, i think yeah okay anyway yeah. so this book whatever it is titled basically talks about how um Right now, politically, we're seeing this tremendous, tremendous pushback um, and reaction to the fact that our culture really has been liberalized to a great extent. And right. so there's this tremendous pushback. Um, but one thing I think is I've actually written about this a couple of times. And one thing I think is really interesting is that as our sexual practices are becoming more diverse and edgier, um, our, the cultural rhetoric is becoming more and more conservative. So there's just this total um, disconnect, really. But although it's not a disconnect, I don't think it's an accident that these things are happening at the same time, where we're becoming freer and more open to experimentation at the same time that privately, that publicly, we are, some of us, are revolting against that some of us yeah yeah, yeah. but i wonder um you know I, I i mentioned before we started recording that i'd been developing this tv show pitch with a friend and uh we were looking at you know who where would we be able to sell this show because the idea of the show is uh like don't worry about who you might offend. Just mm -hmm. like look at things from an open-minded, you know, scientifically valid, but not dusty old BBC professor right. kind of, you know. So fun, not like silly, titillating adolescent, uh, but intelligent without being dry. We're looking for yeah. that sweet spot. And we want to we talk about everything. Like we want to talk about... Um, 
you know, for example, people who have sex with animals. Like, why is that wrong? Mm -hmm. Okay, Like we all sort of say that's wrong. But why? Why Why can you raise a goat, kill it and eat it? But But you you can't can't fuck it. it. Yeah. I mean, you know, what the hell is up with that? Yeah. So anyway, I mean, that's like so, you know, we're we're looking like what channels, what cable channels could we possibly (laughs) pitch this to? Right. And my initial thought was like basically no one, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe HBO. But then I started I don't watch a lot of TV. So I started watching things like uh, Weeds, Mm -hmm. Breaking Bad. Yeah. You know, uh, what were some of the other series that that we watched? Obviously, HBO, a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. on HBO. HBO and and it became apparent that like there's a lot of really risque stuff mm-hmm. that's going out on relatively mainstream mm-hmm. cable channels now you know a lot of South Park stuff is crazy mm-hmm. I don't do you see the South Park episode with the the what I are can those? already say no <laughs> yeah you don't watch South Park no. oh god well there was a South Park you should watch it you know for work yeah there, the, with you know those exercise things oh, the, that yes. you sort the of like jerk shake off weight? shake yeah, weights yeah. yeah yeah so they had this whole thing about the shake weight so one of the 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 father was becoming like fetishizing cooking shows and uh-huh. he was like making dinner with you know shaved parmesan you know 20 year old age parmesan <laughs> on top of you know all this like crazy cooking stuff right meanwhile the mother had a shake weight <laughs> and the shake weight was like a it talked to her and when she shook it properly, there would be like this cooling mist that would spray out all over I think her I face. Heard about this. Yeah, yeah, I think I heard about this episode. It was right up your alley, yeah. I have to say, professionally speaking, <laughs> right, of course. Right. I think yeah. the last time you contacted me, you wanted to know something about oh, Bukaki, was that? Probably, or, yeah. or the, um, I think it was about the money shot. The Why, money shot. What is the appeal of the right. money shot in pornography? Right. For a while there, I was doing a, a series where I tried to, I think it was called Porn Anthropology, where I was trying to explain various pornographic tropes why they exist that's, that's a good that's a good line yeah 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 it so was, what happened that i never heard back from you on that did that one get killed was that too too gross for the uh, editors no it's published i can't remember oh, now it? if i quoted you or not oh well maybe i can't remember now but well. no it's definitely i because i i i know it's published because i can remember the artwork that we published <laughs> with, it, with it which was i think it was like an exploding bottle of champagne or something uh, like yeah. that not very original yeah but yeah. what are you gonna do with what stock gonna art do? yeah <laughs> I hear you. When our book came out, like every proposed cover had Adam and Eve on it. Right. It's like, really? You guys can't think of anything other than... And also, Adam and Eve did not live in prehistory. Please. Hello. People who believe in Adam and Eve don't believe in prehistory. Minor details here. Oh, my God. Let's not talk about publishing. Yeah. Uh, So... where were we? I got lost on South Park. I have the, no the idea. ejaculating oh, shake just weight. about uh, about our culture, our sexual culture. Oh, right. You and were looking for an appropriate venue. For right. And I was just show. surprised how much like really out there stuff yeah. there is already on TV. Yeah. You know? Well, what channel is Breaking Bad on? It's something it's is it Showtime or no, I think it's no? actually like it's like AMC or something oh, like okay. that. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's not network, but yeah, yeah, within the world of cable, I Mm -hmm. guess there's, there's quite a lot going on. Yeah. 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 What was the connection to that though? My Uh, God. Just our listeners are saying, this is tangent after tangent. Um, Well, you're talking about how culturally it seems like we're at a a tipping point. Oh, a tipping point. Yeah. So, so, so do you feel that as well? Yeah. Do you sense that 
that things are changing, that your audience is, is more open to alternative views. Oh, what you were yeah. saying was that, that we're more free in our private lives. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that's true or do you yeah. think we're just more willing to discuss some of it? I mean, I, based on some of the reporting I've done, it's, 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 I'm pretty sure it's true that studies have shown, uh, I don't know how legitimate these studies are, but that studies have shown that people are becoming more adventurous um, in their sex lives or they're more willing to report it. Now, is that a generational thing? Is it that people your age are more adventurous than no, people 10 years across, older than you? I, my understanding is that it's across the board. Uh, and okay. so that across the board, um, Americans in particular, Americans are um, becoming freakier in the bedroom. Uh, Let's hear it for that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Insert round of applause. Yeah. I should have one of those like goofy sound effect buttons, right? right? Like the morning talk show. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I mean, I wonder, I guess I'm hesitant to make any like grand proclamations about it because I mean, I, I think that sex, we're always kind of constantly pushing boundaries with sex. Like I think for, um, bizarrely enough, I've talked to my parents about this, but my parents' generation, you know, oral sex was really the hot thing that everyone was doing. It was a little bit edgy, but, but How it was, old are your parents? uh, 65. Right. So and they're early 60. Wait, uh, I'm, I'm lost on the, so 65, they're born. Yeah. So they're a little younger than my parents. So yes, they were part of in the sixties mm-hmm. and that was, yeah. Were yeah. they, were they hippies? Oh yeah. Oh, were they? Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So my parents actually object to me describing them in personal essays as hippies. Um, my mom in particular, because she thinks that hippies, people generally think of hippies as, um, not very intelligent, um, like, and anti-science, uh, you know, that they, um, where, and she actually is oh, you not anti Turn your mom on to Carl Sagan. Right. You know, I mean, come <laughs> yeah. on. She just, she thinks of it as like a very derogatory term. Oh. Um, yeah. and so I'm not allowed to refer to them That's as hippies anymore. <laughs> I, I don't. But I think they're, I mean, they're hippies in the sense that they're, you know, pot smoking liberals, but they're also highly functional and have had, uh, careers and, um, are not, you know, I guess they're not that stoner stereotype. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, my thing with the hippies, I, I, I can never like, there seems to be a lot of hippie hating going mm-hmm. on. Like, you know, a lazy hippie, you know, there's, I, I mean, I, I guess I, I've never really looked like a hippie, but I always considered myself one at heart. But the, the only thing that bothered me about so-called hippies is that a lot of them, were just as uptight as anyone else, mm-hmm. you know? And and so, like, and they didn't get the irony of being an uptight hippie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Ex- sort of exclusionary. You're right. not cool. Right. You know, you're not one of right. us hippie. Because to me, the hippie ethos is very accepting and, and intelligent, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Notwithstanding the... I mean, marijuana, I'm sort of neutral on, but the use of hallucinogens, I think, actually is an intelligence-enhancing, uh, mm-hmm. you know... The recreational That's endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. I recorded a, a podcast the other night with um, my ex-professor and and great friend, Stanley Krippner, who's a super fascinating guy. 
and I won't talk about it because people who listen to this can listen to the podcast, but he, uh, he's an expert on shamanism mm. and, uh, you know, he tripped with Timothy Leary wow. and, you know, has been like the in-house psychologist to the grateful dead since the late sixties. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. Very interesting guy. And uh, when I was in grad school, we, we became friends and he sort of schlepped me around to conferences with him all over the world. So mm. I, I had like six years where I went all wow. over the place with him to these crazy conferences. Wow. But anyway, that's, that's a different podcast. So you, I, I wanted to ask you about your parents because I remember you, you wrote at least one essay. I can't remember now, but a very sort of charming essay about <laughs> like your mom reading your articles in Salon. Oh. What was that about? I'm Do trying remember? to remember now. I mean, honestly, I write so much that... Is it a I, weekly thing or how often do you, do you have to publish? Uh, well, so for right now, I'm doing three stories a week. Um, before that, I was That's doing five stories a week. So there are many weeks where I can't remember what... Like by the end of the week, I can't remember what I wrote about on Monday. Right. Um, so I have only a vague memory of this... Uh, yeah, I, I remember it was just like, and I could really relate to it because it was, you were talking about how some of the stuff you wrote, you wish your mother wouldn't read. Yeah. And, and right. how it, because I'm the same, my mother like follows my page on Facebook. Right. And sometimes when I post something. Yeah. Uh, it's like about dildos or whatever. Yeah. It's like, really, mom, do you have to, do you have to could, see that? You know, could you just not? Be interested in everything I right. say, you know? The funny thing about um, my parents is that I'll often come to them with, you know, I have a personal essay that's coming out that's uh, edgy and embarrassing. And, um, you know, I <laughs> build up to, to telling them what it's about, um, thinking that they'll be horrified. And inevitably they always end up turning it around and horrifying me by <laughs> elaborating on whatever I've just disclosed and, and, um, you know, talking about their own relationship to pornography and, oh, and, good for and them. I end up being the one blushing. And, uh, so it's really, it's, it's been, um, I think it's, it's pretty difficult to actually shock my parents. I, I don't think I've actually done it yet, which is probably a big part of why, I think I'm able to write about what I write about because they're mm. just really so truly uh, unimpressed. I mean, they're impressed, but they're, they don't find it shocking right. at all. Um, and they're totally accepting of it. Uh, there's no way I could, I could write about this stuff otherwise. Yeah. There's just no way. Are they professors or what, what sort of world um, do they live in? My mom was a graphic designer uh, and my dad is an electronics engineer. Oh, um, okay, cool. so totally unrelated to any of what I, but do. they lived in Berkeley yeah. and raised you. And do you have brothers and sisters? Only child. Only child. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Aside from, um, my high school boyfriend who has sort of become adopted into the family. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's happened in my family too. Yeah. 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 My sister had a boyfriend and then she went off to college. They lived together in my parents' house, and then she went off to uh -huh. college, and he stayed. Oh, that's exactly what happened. Right. Yeah, and then they exactly. broke up. Yeah. And he still stayed. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah, exactly what happened. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. I, I like that. I like it. I, I like that sort of non-traditional view of family, and that, yeah. you know, I like this idea of 
I mean, maybe it's part of being an only child, but of, of trying to create your own family with friends and well, and love is love, mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah. and this is one of the things, one of the areas where I've run into trouble with the evolutionary psychologists is, you know, they're so focused on the genetic package. Yeah, right. And I yeah. just don't see that yeah. as really, you know, I know in, in terms of hardcore Darwinian theory, that's mm -hmm. what it's all about. But I think our species has moved to a point yeah. where that's not what it's all about. Totally. And love yeah. is love. And you, you transmit your essence to people that you're not related to mm -hmm. at all. You know, and, and yeah. in, the, in Sex at Dawn, we talk about hunter-gatherer societies where people know who they're, um, you know, Gen I mean, they don't think in terms of genetics, but they know who shares which mother, you know, mm -hmm. and that's really not that important. What's important is what name you have, mm -hmm. you know, and you're and you're named according to different uh, lineages that have nothing to do with mm -hmm. biological maternity or paternity or what clan you're in, mm -hmm. you know, within certain tribes that yeah. have clan systems. Uh, you know, so I, I think this this sort of uh, very mathematical reliance yeah. on genetics it's one of these things in science where where we focus on the things that can be quantified mm -hmm. yeah right right and and the fact that something can't be quantified then yeah eliminates it from the picture but right. it doesn't eliminate it from reality yeah you know well and what about all of all of the things that you pass on to people whether they're your genetic 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 offspring or not whether it's you know your belief system certain family traditions all of that i mean that's something that's very real and but perhaps not as tangible as you know a dna test right you know right but, yeah well and that's why we write yeah. Isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to make an impact. Yeah. Give something to someone and we Brainwash. don't even know them. Yeah. <laughs> brainwash the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. All those dirty minds need brainwash. Yeah. Milan Kundera said that uh, in some interview, uh, someone asked him why, why write novels and why write books? And he said, oh, we write books because our children don't listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. That's really great. Grumpy old man. Yeah, I like it. Did you ever read <laughs> The Unbearable Lightness of Being? Uh, yeah, I was actually, when you said his name, I was, my mind was going to the bookshelf right there where that book is sitting. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that book a lot. That yeah. For a while, that was my favorite novel, uh, you know, because of the, to me, the very intelligent subtle way he looks at male mm -hmm. and female yeah. approaches to sexuality yeah. and questions of intimacy and uh yeah I, th I love that novel read it a lot of times and, and interestingly i i was in alaska working on fishing boats for a couple of years when then i had that book with me and i read it a lot mm -hmm. and then i went and lived in manhattan this is like 85 or 6 or something like that and um uh, I met, I, I got a job in a, in a restaurant. I was going to Manhattan because I wanted to live in a big city and there was a woman there that I wanted to, to investigate, you know, <laughs> so you see what was happening there. And so it just made sense. So I, I, I went to New York and uh, I was, got this job in a restaurant. And after a couple of weeks, there was a guy eating alone and he was reading a book and it was The Unbearable Lightness of Being. And I said, I was his waiter. And I said, oh, great book. Are you enjoying that? Oh, yeah. We still, I, and I said something to him about the dog. Because to me, the dog, Karinin. I can't remember now. It's been so long since I've read The, the dog book. is a really important character in mm -hmm. the book. Because the dog is 
uh, I might be mixing this up. The dog is is female, but they give him a male's name okay. or it's backwards. It's male, but they give it a female right. name. And since the whole book sort of pivots around this male versus female uh-huh. uh, question, um, you know, the dog is so important. And then and then the death of the dog. You remember they give him a, a lethal injection. It's Honestly, really sad when they're living on the farm, you know, outside okay. of town. And anyway, so we start talking. Uh, the guy invites me to lunch the next day and we end up being friends and he hires me as his personal assistant. He's just inherited $25 million worth of real estate in the diamond district. And I end up like the only non-Jew in the diamond district in New York, uh, living rent free in a penthouse apartment on fifth Avenue. Like all this crazy shit happened in my life because of that book. Oh, that's amazing. I met, uh, Juliette Binoche, um, in Toronto last year. And I tried to tell her this whole story about how that had changed. She was in the film, the unbearable lightness of me. I tried to tell her the story about how important that book had been in my life. And about halfway through it, I noticed she touched her Blackberry and then about 15 seconds later, it started ringing. <laughs> I thought that's one of those delayed, mm-hmm. like, yes. get me out of this boring conversation <laughs> with the fan. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. She so, probably has an app. Uh, I'm sure right she there. does. I left her click. alone. Poor Juliet. I'm sorry, Juliet, if you're listening to this. Highly unlikely. <laughs> yeah. So The Unbearable Lightness of Being, wonderful book. Anyway, why, yeah. why the hell are we talking about did, that? So many tangents. I don't so even many know tangents. where that came from. That, that should be the name of the podcast. So many tangents. Yeah. I like that. Tangents, tangentially speaking. Tangent and tangentially, they're, those are very strong words, I think. They're yeah. solid. Solid. Yeah. Tangent. I have no idea where that came from. All right. So anyway, let's yeah. let's go. Oh, my, we're talking about my parents. We're Your talking parents. about... My inability to shock them. Oh, oh, how we transmit things through oh, yeah, non-genetic yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. means, uh, through our ideas and mm-hmm. our, our right. tangents. Yeah. Yes, our tangents. Our tangents will our inherited outlive tangents. us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you a dancer? No. No, because you're sitting like you're a ballet dancer. That's You've so got funny. this perfect posture and you're wearing like ballet flats. Ballet shoes. I own yeah. like 20 pairs of ballet flats. Oh, okay. My mom was a ballet dancer, not professionally, but she, and she, I, maybe I inherited some of her, 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 her uh, posture, posture and yeah. poses. Um, it actually is funny. This is, I, I don't know if this is at all relevant to this podcast, tangential. but it's totally tangential. Um, she, we both of us, we have this weird thing where we often will stand around in a sort of flamingo pose with one foot up, or I guess if, you know, anyone practices yoga out there Flaming, who's listening flamingo not flamenco yes right. exactly okay. um it's you know a bit of a tree pose one leg up on the other leg and right. just standing on one leg uh for some reason and that seems kind of ballet like to me yeah. but so we have um, yeah maybe i and your your back that. is very straight people You're tell me i this... have very good posture which is yeah. nice because i feel like i'm always hunched over my computer and worried that yeah i'll end up with a hunchback but yeah yeah, nobody ever tells me that. <laughs> nobody has ever, even once, ever, said that not to me. Once. No, <laughs> no. People hmm. say you look like you just got out of a hammock. <laughs> that's, a, that's pretty much the opposite. <laughs> exactly. The exact opposite. And it's pretty much true. I pretty, yeah. I'm either in a hammock or I've just gotten out I of one. I kind of like that as a way to approach life. Though. I love hammocks. In a hammock. Yeah. I think hammocks 
you know, everyone talks about like early stone tools and all this. I think that I, and I have a good argument for this. The hammock is the first technology. Yeah. Before anything else. <laughs> right. There were hammocks. Right. Chimps and bonobos weave hammocks out of branches to sleep in at night. Do they really? They do. No. They do. In fact, huh. uh, recently, a, a female wow. anthrop or primatologist or anthropologist climbed up in the trees in somewhere in Africa and slept in the abandoned chimp or bonobo nests. Oh, wow. They call them nests. Okay. Uh, for the night, just to see what it's like and to, you know... Wow. Get an insight into sleeping huh. in the, the hammocks. What yeah. a trip. Yeah. And, you know, and again, it's like what we were saying, the things that can't be quantified and measured right. sort of disappear from the narrative. Right. So hammocks, they're made out of vegetable material. They're made out of vines and, you know, string mm -hmm. that doesn't fossilize. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it doesn't fossilize means that yeah. we sort of forget it's there right. or was there, you know, yeah. but. I think it's pretty clear if chimps and bonobos are both making hammocks, humans were doing it and you'd want to get your ass up off the ground. Right. You know, um, all the yeah. So much more comfortable stuff. than sleeping on the ground. Yeah. And safe, mm -hmm. you know, with right. all the stuff slithering around in the jungle. Right. You know, that's really interesting. So, yeah. So let it be said that the hammock the, is the first, the first human technology, first technology, <laughs> even pre-human technology, way before fire or arrowheads or any of that crap. That's funny. That's that's something I'm going to bring up at. Happy hour, you know. There you go. <laughs> Fun and little fact. That's right. I I heard it from that New York Times best-selling author. Yeah. Uh, the rest of my life, that I'll be able to call myself. That. That's all. I mean, yeah. It's like winning a Nobel Prize, sort of. No it's matter fantastic. what kind you of. You already have the doctor bit. Down, yeah, which yeah. Is nice, but you know, second-rate school. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's not hard. No one actually. I, does anyone pay attention to that? I not think. many people do. Yeah. Some academics do. You know, when the academics get their their panties in a bunch about right. the. Uh, if you say something, you don't. They don't like. Right. They're like, where the hell did you go to school? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. So okay, we we've got your your parents are cool. They're pretty cool. It sounds like they're pretty cool. They're pretty cool. Yeah. So they're not freaked about this. Not at all. Now, are you, can I ask you about your personal life? Sure. Are you, do you, you have a long-term partner or partners? No, or are I'm, you in an orgiastic no, tribe here? No, I'm really What's... boring. Um, yeah, I'm newly single, uh, actually. Um, newly single? Yeah. Wow. About, about a month out of a somewhat long-term relationship. Yeah. yeah. But I... Um, I feel really incredibly boring in comparison to a lot of the people I write about. Yeah. Um, I'll bet a lot of journalists experience yeah, that. I'm yeah. going to be talking to Neil Strauss. Have you oh, ever heard yeah. of him? Oh, yeah. You know, he wrote that book, the Everyone game. Loves You When You're Dead. Yeah, oh. he wrote The Game. But... <laughs> I, I, know, I know of him mostly because of The Game. Well, you know what? I was talking to him last uh, week or two ago, and, and uh, we were talking about uh, how I don't give advice. Mm -hmm. You're right. Sex at dawn. And, and everybody's like, OK, now what should we do? You know, right. you've established this well, idea. I think I asked you that actually when I interviewed you. Oh, did you? Yeah. Advice, please. <laughs> did, yeah, no, no advice. <laughs> no. Um, and it's funny, you know, all the times I've I've I, I've probably done 200 interviews easy. Right. And everyone asked me that question mm -hmm. at the end. Right. Like, what what's your marriage? You know, yeah. are you in an open thing? Are you swingers? Are you whatever? And uh, before the book even came out, I came up with a stock answer for mm -hmm. that, which I probably gave you, yep. which is our relationship is informed by our research. Yes. Right. You said that exactly. <laughs> I remember <laughs> That's that. That's my yep. stock answer. But you also said something about how you're kind of constantly reevaluating and 
and discussing the terms of your relationship, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, the relationships are organic things, you know, and and so if you, you know, I, I think people want a canned answer. And the fact is that if I had given an answer two years ago when our book came out, they would no longer be accurate. Things mm -hmm. change, yeah. you know, you're. All, all sorts of things change. You go through different pressures, you know, some people have an open relationship and then they go through a period where they say, you know what, that's just too much stress because we're going through this other stuff now. You yeah. know, I'm sick. She's sick. You lost your job. Right. Your mother's sick. You know, right. uh, who needs that added mm -hmm. stress? Uh, things come and go with age and hormones and, you know, there are so many different variables. So, I mean, I, I, I understand why people ask, but I think when it's really examined, you can't ask, uh, you know, for a snapshot of a relationship because right. it's something that changes constantly. You right. know, what does an oak tree look like? It would just be a snapshot. It wouldn't it be. It would be. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't be a, a picture, an essential right. description of the relationship. Um, but people so want instruction, especially yeah. when it comes to something that's, I think, so terrifying, something like non-monogamy and yeah. negotiating that. And they they want some sort of roadmap. So they want they want someone who's done it to, to give them some instruction. Yeah. But the problem is people who have done it have done it with someone other than your partner. Yeah. You know what exactly. I mean? And, right. and with and not you. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I think this is a problem with this is what I'm going to be writing about in the next book we talked about. I think that was before we started recording. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called Civilized to Death. And it, it, it's going to be uh, an examination of a lot of the points of conflict between the sort of natural. I hate using the word natural, but the, the trajectory that our species was on until agriculture derailed us from my mm -hmm. perspective and modern society. And every point of conflict is, uh, produces trauma. It produces stress. It produces anxiety. It produces erectile dysfunction. It mm -hmm. produces anorgasmia. It produces sleeplessness. It produces obesity, diabetes, you know, knee problems. I mean, you know, you name a medical, a chronic medical, uh, issue mm -hmm. and there's almost always some evolutionary explanation that comes down to the body was not designed for what you've been using it for, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Um, so I don't know why the hell I'm talking about that. What was the tangential? I've got to go with tangents for the, the podcast name. Uh, yeah, it seems that seems to be the unifying theme. <laughs> um, or maybe I'm just really confused today. <laughs> um, well, monogamy. Mon oh, the, the uh, yeah, the that's it. That people want people want a one size fits all right. answer to things, right. you know. Well, and that's what monogamy has been for right. everyone. It's, sure. it's a one size fits all, but it doesn't, it doesn't fit. fit. Yeah, exactly. That's at the all, problem. But we desperately want it to fit, and we're so upset that it doesn't fit perfectly. Right. <laughs> for all of us. Right. It's like it's like people saying, "What size shoes should I buy?" Yeah. Well, I don't know. I wear ten and what a half, but that doesn't mean foot? yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Who are you? Where? What do you? What's going on in your life? Right. Right. What do you need? You know, I, I was speaking to a researcher recently at uh, University of British Columbia, where I've been for the summer. Very interesting woman, Lori Bracco, I think her name is. Um, she heads uh, one of the labs there doing research. And she was telling me that one of her colleagues has, has published a paper arguing that, ped that pedophilia is best understood as a sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
And I often think that there is a spectrum in terms of sexual novelty and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we could call it incest avoidance mechanism, mm-hmm. which is sort of another way of describing the same phenomenon right. or, um, you know, comfort with long-term sexual monogamy or discomfort mm-hmm. that is almost like, uh, or, or maybe best understood as a sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. I think some people have no problem being yeah. with yeah. one sexual I partner. Think that's absolutely true. And yeah. some could not possibly do it. Yeah. So, but because they're forced into it, they'll lie and cheat and, you know, mm-hmm. betray everything that they hold sacred right. in order to be who they are. But they're only being who they are with prostitutes or, you know, people who right. uh, don't really play a, an important role in their, 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 above the table life, mm-hmm. you know, you have who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Their yeah. Identity. Yeah. Their public identity. So anyway, there's, there's no, I, there's no way I'm writing a, I'm going to write a, an advice book. Yeah. Unless, unless the advance is six figures. Right. Publishers. Yeah. Take note. Yeah. Six figures. I might. <laughs> hey, I would sell out for that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, we're, we're all sellouts. Yeah. Just, you know, name the price. I'd, I'd attempt to give people advice on, yeah, all of that. Take it or leave I mean, it. People, ha- there are, ha- have been people who have written books um, attempting to give advice on that topic. But Have you read Opening Up, Tristan Taromino? Yeah, I think I have a while ago. Yeah, yeah. I think I've read m- most of those books because I, I spent, I had a series where I was interviewing people about monogamy. Um, and so I, I read up on everything that I could on that topic. So, so what do you think? You agree that, that this, um, tolerance for monogamy is, is there's a spectrum that Mm -hmm. people, some people find it easy and some people find it impossible. Yeah, I mean, just anecdotally, uh, for whatever that's worth, I, I know plenty of people for whom it's no problem at all. Um, and then I know other people who, uh, I suspect it's more difficult for them than they actually are willing to admit. And then there are others that are very open about the fact that it's difficult. Um, Do you see those things aligning with gender? um, I hate to say this, but I do. (laughs) Um, I have definitely, and this is completely anecdotal, so, um, but... I definitely have noticed with my female friends a greater uh, comfort with monogamy. Um, I I guess I would say even just in general, uh, less desire. Less desire for men? For sex, period. Within monogamy? Oh, just in general. Period, yeah. Okay. Um, With the same partner or different partners? And I don't know how that how that influences the monogamy aspect. Right. But I would imagine that it does. And you're talking about, you know, you said your female friends. You're talking about women in their their 20s. 20s, Right, right. Um, I would say that the, I don't know that my friend group is in any way meaningfully representative, but (laughs) um, I would say the majority, the majority of my female friends, uh, generally I would say would have no, problem with monogamy it's not an issue at all um and then i have a you know maybe maybe two percent for whom it's an issue two percent how many friends do you have (laughs) 
see this is very unscientific. You've got to have at least 50 friends to arrive at 2%. Well, according to Facebook. Oh, Facebook no. friends. Oh, that's different. Yeah. 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 That's wow. very unscientific. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so okay now uh, assuming you know let's let's assume that is a representative sample yeah. which you know it's not obviously but assuming it is uh do you think things would be different if if we lived in a society in which those women could anticipate having a child in a sort of stable supportive mm-hmm environment in which they didn't need to worry about money they didn't need to worry about you know what i mean right. the, the, the sort of teaming up to raise kids mm-hmm. and all the the pressure that comes with that right right yeah possibly i mean i could see any number of different uh factors there that i mean i don't i struggle with this a lot uh this question of you know whether it's culturally socially learned behavior. Right. Um, it seems so impossible to really separate out all of those parts and yeah. really isolate it's, what yeah, it is. And that's the holy grail. I know? mean, we desperately want to, but can we actually, I don't know. Well, you know, we can look at, we can, we can, I think we can make steps in that direction, whether or not we arrive at any conclusion yeah. or not. For example, you know, we can look at societies like the Netherlands and Scandinavian mm-hmm. countries where uh, women don't need to really worry about that stuff. There's a government stipend for child care, mm-hmm. education, health care is all taken care of. You know, women get like four or five months off from maternity leave. Right. And then they, you know, you're welcome to bring your kid in breastfeeding public. And, the, you know, the whole society is sort of uh, organized around. Uh, supporting women in in having kids, whether or not they're married to a man. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think thousands of years of women being in a position where, you know, if they got pregnant without being married, they were subject to, yeah. you know, right. execution, right. if not, you know, at mm-hmm. worst and at best being cast into the street and, and shamed and humiliated mm-hmm. the rest of their lives. That's got to have an effect. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not saying women would be as horny and, and sort of, right. you know, driven by sexual novelty as men. But in, in lots of primates, they are. Yeah. You know, I think it was Sarah Hurdy who, who uh, hmm. talked about how when a new uh, macaque, a male macaque was introduced to the troop, all the females would go. Uh, after him, mm-hmm. no matter like whether he was you huh. know bigger coloration or size huh. or nothing about it didn't matter any of those other factors huh. paled in comparison to the fact so that he was just different. So why would it be different for primates? Well, I mean, we can't talk about primates in general, right? Because yeah. every primate has its own mating system, and and you know all sorts of things are different. But I think in in macaques and and certainly in terms of her research. Uh, her theory is that female promiscuity is a way of obscuring paternity because when a new alpha male takes over, often he'll kill the infants hmm. of uh, oh, wow. females okay. to put them back into estrus. Wow. Which also happens with lions and right. gorillas yeah. and, you know, huh. lots of... Um, of uh animals that that have a mating system with uh, an alpha male yeah when that 
changes, a new alpha male takes yeah. over, he'll kill the infants. Huh. So when a new male shows up on the off chance, he might end up being the alpha male, according to her thinking, right. they'll all go have sex with him. So if he does, then he might think, well, hmm. not that he's thinking consciously, of course, right. but there's some mechanism where yeah. he's less likely to kill infants that could possibly be his. Yeah. yeah. So we're seeing yeah. female sexuality in reaction to all of these sort of cultural, social right forces yeah. right yeah and and in bonobos of course you've got female sexuality which is the the sort of bonding force of the entire species mm -hmm. where and what's interesting is that most uh the most frequent sexual contact among bonobos is female to female hmm the right. most frequent huh? yeah yeah it's called gg rubbing genital to genital rubbing <laughs> <laughs> they'll like back up to each other and do this quick little ju -ju -ju -ju, you know like a, a shake the shake their booties and uh and it's just <laughs> vanessa woods calls it a bonobo handshake wow. it's just a way of saying hey how you doing i like you you know everything's hmm. cool Interesting. and yeah and so in bonobo uh societies the females run the show and they're uh, female exogamists, which means that when the bonobos reach sexual maturity, the female leaves the troop she was born into mm -hmm. and joins another troop of unrelated uh, bonobos. Mm -hmm. But despite that, uh, the bonds between females are so strong that if a male harasses or attacks a female, all the females will go after that male. Huh. So that keeps the males in check. The fact that the females are very much bonded together, plus the fact that the males are getting laid left and right, right. so they're pretty relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you might say they spend a lot of time in hammocks. Right. You know? Right. Uh, whereas chimps have really good posture. Right? <laughs> chimps are more, chimps are male uh, driven okay. society. So huh. there's rape and murder and infanticide and war and all stuff. that male yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I always when I give presentations, I always tell guys like, "Hey, if you want to like, uh, uh, you want to have a more sexually liberated society, you have to empower females." Right. You know, that's, I like that. Yeah, I, I feel like I've come across at least a couple studies that have looked at the impact of feminism on sexual satisfaction and found a positive relationship. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe not the Andrea Dworkin type feminism. But. Yeah, right. I mean, it does. I think that they, maybe it was just one study, and I think that they defined feminism very just simply as a belief in uh, sexual equality. Right. And empowerment, yeah. Yeah. you know, and when women feel sexually empowered, they're more likely to have sex with male friends right. without any like major commitment just yeah. because they, the woman feels yeah. like it and yeah. if she feels like it, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I think, well, this gets us back to Neil Strauss. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, initially, when his assistant contacted me to ask if I'd be on the podcast, I said no. Because I had heard about the game uh -huh. through a friend who kept telling me, oh, you got to read this. You yeah. know, you'll learn all these tricks for picking up women. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the right. last thing I need is like learning tricks. Right. You know, right. Um, I've got like an allergic reaction to advertising or, <laughs> you know, NLP or any sort of like, you know, here's how you can manipulate people right. better. Right. You know. 
Do you know that modern advertising was basically started by a guy named Edward Bernays in the 20s? Uh, he was the first person to use focus groups to try to, you know, um, hmm. measure the impact of different phrases and images and all that. He, he he had a long career all through the 20th century. He he was the guy who came up with "You've come a long way, baby." Huh? The yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Virginia Slims, the feminist right. cigarettes. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. yeah. You've come a long way, baby. You know. Right. Now you need lung cancer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you know who his uncle was? Who? Sigmund Freud. Oh wow. Oh, fascinating. Right. Huh. So I've got like this thing about, you know, mind games. Yeah. I, I yeah. just hate it. Um, so when the, you know, I got this email saying, you know, Neil Strauss, won this super big time author wants to interview, I said, no, no, that's not going to happen. And then I went to Vancouver and I met a friend up there who had read Neil's books. And he was mm -hmm. like, no, dude, you got it all wrong. Neil's like commenting on that world, right? right? He's not promoting it right. he's not and then I, I met him through another friend and we talked and he's actually a really nice guy yeah um and uh well this is taking us all the way back in a big <laughs> loop when we started talking about neil and he said uh he asked me why i didn't give advice yeah you know and I, after sex at dawn and and i told him like i don't want to be you know my next book has nothing to do with sex really and i don't really want to be known as the sex guy i right. want to sort of keep and he said well i'm known as the game guy right. and it's like i've got five new york times bestsellers before that mm -hmm. but everyone knows me as the guy who yeah. wrote the game yeah you know and i went and looked and he does i've wrecked i know some of his books that he hmm. wrote before but i'd never heard of them well, that's erased by yeah, yeah all of the buzz around the game yeah yeah and you can't complain. I mean, he's probably yeah. sold a million copies, which is I'm sure. not bad. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, yeah. So I, I actually first found out about Neil Strauss and the game, uh, because a guy used it on me. Um, successfully. Successfully. Yeah. Very successfully. <laughs> very successfully. Um, I was out salsa dancing with some friends and, uh, <laughs> He came up to us and uh, was talking to us, but mostly just talking to my two friends uh, and completely ignoring me uh, entirely. And I was kind of upset by this because I couldn't figure out why he, he wouldn't give me the time of day. And um, by the end of the night, he asked for all of our numbers because he was allegedly going to invite us all to a big party. Right. Uh, and then he ended up only calling me and asking me out on a date. Um, Initially, I hadn't been attracted to him at all uh, when he approached, but I, I, I think the, the fact he negged me. That's, Did he? That Do you remember the, the neg? Well, the neg, I think, was the ignoring. Just the ignoring. Uh, he didn't because say it made me think, what's wrong with me? Why am I not good enough right. for him? Why isn't even though I wasn't initially interested in him at all, just the fact that he was so clearly showing disinterest made me wonder, you know, what's going on here? And it was kind of intriguing. And could I just say for the record, sitting here with Tracy completely naked, that uh, <laughs> you're the kind of person who gets the time of day for men. So this this would have been a notable uh, non-attention. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're blushing. Yeah. Wow. It does. Sex writers blush occasionally. Um, <laughs> I actually, I think I'm like one of the more, the most prudish sex writers in the world, probably. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, so yeah, so this guy <laughs> used it on me and then he made the mistake of telling me, uh, not that he had used it on me, but he told me, cause he knew that I wrote about sex a lot. And so he told me about the book and he actually lent me his copy, which was highlighted. Highlighted. 
Ow. <laughs> um, to read. The section on salsa dancing. <laughs> when you find yourself at a salsa club. Um, and so I read, I read the book. Uh, I don't think that the relationship soured because of that. Um, but the relationship ended, and then I actually ended up interviewing Mystery um, because he'd turned me on to the book, and it happened that Mystery was just about to come out with his VH1 show. Uh, and then Mystery tried to neg me, um, but by then I was wise to it, so hmm. it didn't work. So what was that like, uh, meeting? Mystery's the guy with the silly hat and yeah. the fur and all that? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we actually, it was a phone interview. Oh, So okay. I didn't get the full effect. Yeah, the full mystery uh, but, impact. But yeah, he. I think I, I asked him a tough question, and he responded with, wow, did you write that all by yourself? <laughs> Yeah. Really? Yeah. So I have to say, I, I haven't read the game. I haven't read any of this stuff. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. speaking from pure ignorance. But is it is it it sounds very misogynistic. Yeah. Like women are just to be tricked and mm-hmm. fucked right. over. Make and, her feel bad about herself so that she wants to prove something to you. Take right. the upper hand. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that there are a lot of good tricks in there. I, you know, the, that trick worked on me, um, but it doesn't actually teach you how to maintain a relationship. Case in point, that right. relationship did not last very long. Right. Um, and it's sort of the, uh, it's sort of the opposite of intimacy. Yeah, exactly. The opposite. Yeah. So it can, I guess, get, get your foot in the door, so to speak, but um, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't really help you beyond that. So I think it's actually a really good technique for guys who want to just go and hook up with someone. Um, but once you actually want to move beyond that, then yeah. Don't lend women your copy Don't of the lend game. Your women, your highlighted copy of the game. <laughs> <laughs> that should be. I mean, isn't that mentioned in the game somewhere? Attention, reader. <laughs> Do not <laughs> hand disclaimer. this to your girlfriend. <laughs> exactly. That should be in Sex at Dawn, too. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I get a lot of. Actually, I get them from. You know, it's interesting. We're talking about women and whether women are more or less interested in sexual novelty and all that sort of thing. The. The emails that we've received from readers saying thank you skew probably 70%, 30% toward females. Hmm. Women write to us hmm. at least twice as often as men do saying thank you for, hmm. you know, Hmm. giving me a reason not to see myself as abnormal in some way. Hmm. Now, of course, that could just be because, you know, the book is saying both men and women are at heart, you know. Men already feel validated. And men are already like, yeah, of course. But women are like, finally, yes, it's both of us. Yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting. I've also another interesting thing from from your perspective as a sex writer, something that completely blew my mind was, Dozens of emails I've gotten from women saying I had to stop and masturbate every 10 pages. Whoa, really? Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I can't say I had that experience <laughs> with the book. Oh, come on. You could say it. <laughs> no. What a great blurb that would be. Not even you know? every 50 pages. Tracy Clark Flores Salon. I had to masturbate every that's, five pages. That's really Took me weeks to get through that book. Huh. Yeah. And I guess it's it's... You know, female sexuality is so interesting, Yeah. Uh, you know, because so many things can assume an erotic uh, mm-hmm. tinge or, yeah. or, or power. And, you know, I guess I've, I've talked to some of the people about it and what they've all said is that it was a sense of liberation. 
Mm, oh, that's so interesting. And that turned them on. Oh, wow. Like, that's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense now. I was wondering, what was it exactly? That, yeah. Ah. Uh, Well, you know, the research, uh, I think we talked about it in the book of, you know, women watching all these different erotic Mm -hmm. images and sort of uh, indicating with a paper and pencil how turned on they were Mm -hmm. and then comparing that to their physiological response. response, And the physiological response was they were turned on by everything. Everything. Monkey sex. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) People running on treadmills. Yeah. Gym. Yeah. 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 Male, male, female, female, male, female, whatever. But women are supposedly not visual creatures. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good point. Imagine if they had been stories, Mm -hmm. you know, it would probably have been even more robust results. Yeah. So, okay. This sort of leads into one of the things that I was, I wanted to talk to you about is how does your work influence your personal life? You know, mm. you've got roommates. Do you, are they afraid <laughs> to talk to you about their situations? Well, it's funny because my, um, my one male roommate, uh, he moved in and he was terrified of talking to me about any of his personal romantic stuff um, because he was terrified that I was going to write about him. And he, he basically said, I'm terrified that you're going to write about me, that I'm going to show up in one of your stories. Uh, and then he eventually got over it because he realized that I, you know, wouldn't really do it without his permission or I, you know, wouldn't reveal his identity or anything like right. that. And so now he tells me everything, anything and everything. But speaking of um, my male roommate, uh, I actually just got a shipment at the office, as I occasionally do, of sex toys. Um, and these were uh, for men. Uh, oh, the flashlight were, or fleshlight? They, they were... Uh, Tenga, Tenga eggs. Oh. Yeah. So it's like a fancier Japanese high design version of the fleshlight. Right. Uh, and so I got them at the office and I don't have any use for them. So I just uh, put it right outside my roommate's door and just waited for him to come home. It's a nice fringe benefit. Nice little, nice little present. Yeah, it is a benefit to right. living with me. I uh, I got an email from the company that makes fleshlights a few months ago saying they wanted to send me one, mm-hmm. you know, and I wrote back and said, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to endorse anything or talk right. about it. You know, I don't, I don't get into that. And they said, oh, it doesn't matter. We just went out and send it to you. So, okay, here's my address. Right. At the time I was, I gave them my parents address in LA cause that's where I was. <laughs> and then I forgot all about it and I left, I went to Vancouver Oh my and God. then, and then okay, my mother's going to listen to this too. You know, mom, <laughs> stop listening, mom, leave me alone. <laughs> anyway, she, uh, my mother sent me an email saying, Oh yeah, this, this box arrived from Texas. I've, uh, I've opened it. I'm not oh, quite God. sure what it is. Oh God. Uh, I don't know what it is either. Mom. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So now have Um, you like, have you, uh, personally used sex toys to write about them? Have you ever done that sort of experiential? Really? Uh, it's an interesting line, I guess that, uh, I guess I'm always sort of redrawing it because, um, I mean, it's very difficult to try to be professional and also be to write about sex and also sometimes write about your personal experiences. Did you ever consider using a, a pen name? No. Nope. Never occurred it to you. It just never occurred to me. Yeah. yeah. And by now it's too late, I guess. It's well, too I mean, late. you could start all I could thing. if I wanted to write something really incredibly edgy. Although I've already written plenty of things where it's, you know, I've been horrified that my family's read it. Not my parents, actually, because they're not horrified by anything. But so what what do you remember? Like what made you most uncomfortable that, <laughs> to have your name associated with? If, you, if you're willing to I say. Do remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would be, uh, I wrote a personal essay about um, sleeping with my favorite male porn star. 
Oh, I read that. That was Jess, Jesse James, was it? No. No. I didn't name him. Oh, okay. Ron Jeremy must have been. Yes. Yeah, everyone's definitely favorite. Ron Jeremy is my favorite porn star. Yeah. Uh, okay. That was, yeah, I, that remember, was the most I remember that essay. Embarrassing. That was one of those essays where I actually sort of regretted publishing it. Just because it felt uh, it was no longer mine to own. And it was just a story that existed out there and that any of my family members could find out about or, you know. I remember. What was the what was the angle on that? My angle on it was basically that uh, you know, like you felt revealed... like you were on a an, an addition or something. No, there was. Well, it was that uh, it was that it um if I felt like it really revealed sort of the disconnect between reality and fantasy, and uh, that right. you know, it was like having a fantasy come to life and then finding it incredibly underwhelming. Right. Um and and like sort of made me really appreciate the difference between fantasy and reality, uh, what I want in reality versus what I want in fantasy. Right. That I could have an experience with my most fantasized about man and hmm. have it be underwhelming and never want to do it again. Your most fantasized about man or your most fantasized about porn star? Yeah, probably porn star. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't really feel like there are many men like that. I, actually, you don't have a George Clooney thing. no, I have a friend who uh, really don't. who was like complaining about how his ex girlfriend had been really high maintenance, mm -hmm. and they were like eighteen months together or something, and you know nothing was good enough. The, the restaurant, his car, his apartment, everything. She was always complaining, and I said, "Geez, that, that's terrible, man." What, what, you know, and he said, "Yeah, I, I should have known though, because six months before I hooked up with her, she'd been dumped by George Clooney." It's like, yeah. <laughs> what did you expect, <laughs> yeah. man? Yeah. You know, rebounding from George Clooney. Probably should that's have seen that coming. Tough gig. Yeah, really. <laughs> that's a really tough gig. I lived uh, for three years. I lived in this house in uh, Barcelona that was, it was a mansion that had been converted into studio apartments. And uh, everyone who lived there was a fashion model except me. It was really interesting. All these models were like coming through on the circuit. You know, they'd go mm -hmm. to Barcelona, Milan, Paris, New York, Miami, and just sort of go around to the mm. different shows. So I met hundreds of fashion models. And there was one guy, David, really interesting guy, beautiful, beautiful man, looked like Tarzan. You know, <laughs> he, he was like, he, he looked like Tarzan wishes he looked, right. you know, and he never worked out. He just, he, he was just naturally, you know, he had this body and he looked like a swimmer, you know, he wasn't like a weightlifter. He was just yeah. gorgeous. Half American Indian, I think, beautiful facial structure, everything. And um, David was from, uh, well, I probably shouldn't talk too much about him personally in case people <laughs> recognize him because he's pretty famous. But uh, he was and is a sweetheart. He's just a sweet, sweet guy. But he looks like, you know, mm -hmm. a guy who's going to like, mm -hmm. you know, tear your panties off with his teeth. And, right. you know, and so because he had this image, um, you know, and, and he would be in like underwear ads and Speedo and, you know, he's mm -hmm. that guy. The sort of women who were attracted to him had an image yeah. in their minds of who he was. Right. And a lot of them were really disappointed. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with him, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just the women who went for him weren't the women who should have been going right. for him because the look threw them off. Yeah. And this, you know, and, and David and I got to be quite close friends and, and he had like a lot of, um, bad feelings mm-hmm. around that because, yeah. you know, he felt like he was doing something wrong. And he wasn't at all. Mm-hmm. It was just this disconnect yeah. between the the fantasy and the mm-hmm. reality, as yeah. you're saying. Yeah. So I've I've never I've never been with a porn star per se. <laughs> per se. But hmm. <laughs> some aspiring right. porn stars, well, perhaps. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. There are plenty of those. Yeah. So that that's the one that that you felt. What what about stuff that's not personal? Like, just have you written about something? Mm. That, have you ever written about bestiality or anything like that? I must have at some point. <laughs> that's great. Uh, I must have. I mean, I can't imagine that I haven't. Yeah. I mean, when you've written about, like, coprophilia. Coprophilia, which is shit related. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Poo porn, basically. Poo Actually, porn. this is a funny story. I was... I was, not Winnie um, the Pooh porn. Not what? Winnie the Pooh. No, no, yeah. no. Although that, I'm sure that exists. Um, yeah, I was actually subpoenaed to testify in a federal obscenity trial uh, of a poo porn producer. A poo porn producer? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Because um, I'd interviewed him about his work. <laughs> and uh, they, they found... They thought that the the interview was relevant to the investigation, and so they subpoenaed me. Uh, we fought it. We tried to offer sworn testimony, uh, you know, verifying that everything I published in the interview was actually what he said to me. And they wouldn't accept it, and they demanded that I fly down to L.A. Uh, and take the stand to be cross-examined. <laughs> about poop porn. About poop porn. Um, and it actually happened. I wrote about it. They bought me my ticket. They booked my hotel, everything. And then uh, I think two days before I was supposed to fly down, I wrote about it uh, and the absurdity of it and the fact that taxpayers were paying for my free trip to L.A. to basically say that what I published was true. And uh, then they suddenly decided to cancel the subpoena after months and months of our lawyers trying to fight it. Nice. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah. I kind of regret it, actually, because it would have been fun to actually take the stand. Yeah, that would have but, been a funny experience to yeah. tell your grandkids about. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So are you, uh, you have any aspirations to write any sort of longer stuff? Are you going to do a book or yeah, a I'd collection love to do, of essays or something? I'd love to do a book at some point. Um, right now I'm searching for that perfect idea that I'm passionate enough about that I could, you know, it could really sustain me through the whole process. So. Do you want to continue with the, the sex writing or you want to branch out into other stuff? I don't know. I think for now it's, uh, it's, it's sustaining my interest. So, yeah. Do you consider yourself an, an especially sexual person? Uh, yes, I think so. I mean, I think that, I think that that might be part of, um, what drives my interest is having a sense of being somehow abnormal. And I don't think that I, I actually think that I'm not, but this perception of being abnormal, um, for being a woman who has any sort of substantial sexual interest. Um, I think like wanting to understand that, uh, and to understand female desire and male desire better is a large part of why I've been driven to write about what I write about. Right. It's just inherently interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I had all these great ideas for dissertation. And, and still I look back on them and they're, they're, I think they're good ideas and important ideas, but I just couldn't sustain interest mm -hmm. over a long time. And then I thought, well, okay, if I do this and I become known as the expert in, you know, whatever it is, then I'm going to be, you know, making a career out of it. Right. So like, do I want my whole life to be about, mm -hmm. you know, what, I mean, I was looking at personality profile of uh, oncologists because my idea was that a certain type of personality would better withstand the existential stress of having wow. patients who die a lot. Interesting. You yeah. know, and other personality types wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And so the idea was to develop a profiling uh, technique that could then be used in, in uh, medical schools hmm. to help people, you know, to guide them into or away yeah. from oncology intensive care you know, practices where a lot of patients hmm. are going to die because if you just don't have the personality to withstand yeah. that, then you get burnout and you mm -hmm. get all sorts of career crises and suicidal, you know, self-destructive things and drug abuse. And, hmm. you know, it's a big problem in medicine. So I still think it's really important it's work. It's really interesting. Yeah. But, you know, I'd much rather talk about, uh, you know, goat fucking. Right. <laughs> I guess that's that's the life decision I've made as well, <laughs> at least at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, thank you. This this is I could go on for hours. Yeah. I think we're already well over our time. Probably. Dustin will have to edit this down. Poor guy. But uh, yeah, do your best, <laughs> Dustin. Keep the good parts. <laughs> so thank you very much for appearing on the uh, what are we going to call it? Tangentially speaking yes. with Dr. Christopher Ryan or the naked truth with Dr. Christopher Ryan. <laughs> Said, Over and baby, out. what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Soft touch, why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a bird cage, singing in your chest. You wanna shut it up or give it a rest? You're gonna die one day. Why do we waste our time? Think about an obligation, running from a confrontation. Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.